Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Good morning, Ush. How are you? Morning, Jackie. How are you? Good, thank you. Because it's Wednesday, not Tuesday, which is our normal recording day. So <laughs> I know it just feels like it's going to be a longer week now, doesn't it? I know, but it's exciting because it's not. It's already Wednesday. How's your week looked? Right. Yeah, really good. Because in Victoria, it's a short week. We got a long weekend for the grand final on Friday. Oh, do you? So mm. you guys have what Friday off? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, it's a new you? public holiday they brought in a couple of years ago and it's a bit of a silly one because it's the Friday before the grand final instead of the Monday after but anyway. Yeah you'd think it'd be the Monday after for recovery. You'd think so wouldn't you? (laughs) It's trying to encourage people to go to the parade on Friday. Ah but yeah. Mm. Uh, so what have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to? Yes, look, busy week. I've sort of been focusing a little bit on strategy and my business for the last week or so, which has been, Great. been good. Like I always mention my podcast, I do that one day a week to myself. And mm. at the moment, it's just been a focus on the direction of the business. So just been working on that. And I'm also, um, what else am I doing? Oh, and we've booked in another couple of EQ Kids workshops as well because they are they're going really well. We're doing two a month at the moment. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's school holidays at the moment for you too, isn't it? Not yet. It That's will next be week. next week. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, Gia will be in vacation care for that. Yep. Well, um, what about you? How's your week looked? Yeah, good. I had a day's workshop yesterday with um, my Her Business Network that I'm a part of. Mm. Um, And it was a great day to get together with the women, do some learning, do some implementation, spend the day outside the doing of the business and doing some, you know, strategy and deeper creative work around the business too, which is like you were talking about, you get a chance to do fairly regularly. And so Mm. I do it quarterly-ish. Yeah, I remember you saying was good good Mm. very exciting and what's on for next week um outside of the long weekend good question i'm going to a gala dinner on the thursday night so that should be fun it's always fun to get a little bit dressed up (laughs) actually that's my dilemma at the moment i've got an awards night to go to it's just one of those things where you've i've been to the shop and for the life of me cannot find a plain black dress ah you're not meant to wear black what are you doing wearing black anyway (laughs) Because it's the event, so it's a black tie. Oh, black uh, tie is what? I guess it's a black dress for women, isn't it? No, no, just full no. length. Full length, oh God. So yeah, so on a mission to find, well, there you go, a full length dress for that. So the awards are in Brisbane. Great. How far away? Uh, ninth. So I'm one of 10 uh, Australian Indian Businesswomen of the Year. Fantastic. Mm. Well done. Thank um, you. Why don't you hire one? Go to one of those places where you... Oh, that's a really good idea. You've got enough time. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I might have to look at that because I don't really do dresses. So it's that whole case of what am I going to buy that I'm going to probably wear more than once. Yes, hire it. If I had my way, I'd like to go in jeans and Converse. but (laughs) (laughs) You could wear that underneath maybe. I could. I'm a little bit like that. If I wear a really, really long dress and it's the middle of winter, I'll wear my, you know, skins underneath the dress. Oh, nice. Nice and (laughs) cosy. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Mm, Good fun. Shall we jump straight into talking about the conversation I had this time? Yes. 
So I was at the gym yesterday when I was listening to the interview and I know you said oh, it's a bit different but wasn't sure what to expect. So I think our listeners have been for a treat because uh, she's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's a great chick. And <laughs> I was just so out of my depth. It was, like you said, a couple of places I was just like, oh, where do I take this? <laughs> where? What next? Yes. <laughs> Um, I, and it was that you had that one moment where, like I was mentioning, she was talking about yep. some. Was she talking about some sort of body parts of women? I can't remember what words she even used. And you were like something about, yes. What would you tell your younger self? Or you like it was a totally random question, yep. and it just made me laugh knowing how you are. I'm like, yep, that's lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll introduce our our guest. Mm. Um, I spoke with Ro Murray. Now, um, her background's very similar to mine, which was really nice to hear. And we had a good chat about that afterwards, actually. And she is a copywriter and digital marketer. She's also an author. And that's primarily what we spoke about because what got her into the topic of the book that she wrote and that she's writing another book as well. So the book she wrote is called For Fox's Sake. And I love that title. Yeah, and it's a sex education book for modern teenage girls. And her next book coming out is All Foxed Up, which is uh, going to be a sex education book for teenage boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a really great conversation, particularly about the generational differences. But let's jump in and have a listen. Ro Murray, welcome to our podcast. How are you this morning? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. We were just talking about the weather because we're both from Melbourne and the winter just seems to be lingering on, doesn't it? Oh, it's a very, very brisk morning, that's for sure. Looking forward to some summer. Yes. So jumping straight in, Mm -hmm. what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be so many things growing up. Um, I was a little bit of a tomboy, so I mostly grew up in Ballarat and we come from a bit of a farming family. So I wanted to be like a professional dirt bike racer (laughs) until I was about nine years old. Um, And and then I went through phases. I wanted to be a dancer and I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I have definitely always wanted to be a writer. Um, not that long ago, my dad, who's 80 now, actually gave me a box full of little homemade books that I'd, you know, write, handwrite and illustrate and then take them down to the newsagent and get them laminated and put together. I'd completely forgotten about them, but there it is. <laughs> I clearly always wanted to be a writer. Yes. That's so gorgeous. I think I had the same thing, particularly in primary school. We were making all these little books and they were bound with the um, tape and illustrated. And love it. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> Must have been a country thing, perhaps. It probably was, yeah. <laughs> so, what has your career path actually looked like? Um, it's been really zigzaggy, actually, but it has had some really consistent threads running through it. So, I didn't, I I got in to do fine art at RMIT when I finished high school and I thought, yes, that's what I'm going to do. And then about three months before I was due to start, I had a real sort of crisis of faith in a creative career and was like, you know, how are you ever going to make money out of art? And that was honestly a very naive view of mine. I sort of had this mental picture of Renaissance time where you'd be, you know, sitting around making these huge 
you know, oil paint masterpieces. And maybe if you were lucky, you'd sell one or two a year. And I just, you know, I had this really false view of what a career, a creative career would look like. So I just went and got a job, Pacific Brands. And while I was there, I realised that, you know, the marketing field looked really interesting. So because I'd, you know, been completely focused on, you know, doing undergrad work in the arts, my university, you know, entry scores weren't quite what that, you know, I had a great art portfolio, but I didn't have you know, fabulous, fabulous scores that would get me straight in to do marketing. So I did a bit of a zigzag route. I did a couple of open learning subjects and then I ended up going to Swinburne Tate and studying business marketing there part-time and then moved that into further and further higher education. But I was working full-time the whole time I did that. So Mm -hmm. I ended up working in PR and advertising agencies, first up doing press releases and things like that, and then eventually becoming a copywriter. So for a living, for actual money, I've written um, more radio scripts than you would care to count. You know, I've edited books, I've written corporate brochures, annual reports, magazine ads, mountains of articles, all of those things. So that in terms of my official professional, as far as the ATO is concerned, career, I've been a copywriter, but it's always, I do like to keep myself interested in things. So I have owned adult e-commerce store, um, which I set up probably about nine years ago now, really long time ago now. It was very groundbreaking for e-commerce. And that's what actually got me interested in this little swerve over into sex education and that education space. And that in itself has really influenced what my copywriting and, you know, what I'm researching has become. So it's been a bit of a zigzag. That's so fascinating. And a couple of things that I like to pull out of that. So Mm -hmm. working full-time while you're studying, I mean, you almost would have got as much of an education in the workplace and doing the doing as learning traditionally as well, which I think has probably set you up so well. Mm, It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I suppose as a country student, you needed to do that because you were away from home and and probably like my family, they couldn't afford to pay for your rent and pay for your education. So you have to cover yourself, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I had a great little apartment when I first moved to Melbourne um, and it was definitely a bit of a friends and family slightly reduced deal, but it was actually fantastic to be able to, like, I've never had a hex debt. I've paid for my units as I've enrolled in them, which has actually been a relief and to not have to panic about quite so much about things like textbooks. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you know, uni's starting, you need to make sure that this pay packet you're spending on textbooks or upgrading your little computer at home, that kind of thing. Um, And it was a really big shift. You know, I actually finished my last year 12 exam and I still remember it so distinctly. I'd already been making plans to move to Melbourne pretty much right away. And I was still in my school uniform with a suitcase on the V-line train (laughs) heading into Melbourne because I I was just so eager to get going, which is incredibly exciting. So yeah, it was a great experience. (laughs) We have so many parallels. (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, when people Google your name, your page comes up focusing on the book, the first book that you've written for Fox's sake, which as you said, is all about sex education, particularly for teenage girls more so, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
definitely a book that needed to be written. I originally started writing, I I wrote about a third of the book before I actually tossed it and started again. It was really interesting because working in the sort of, it was essentially, you know, the, the vibrator female health you know, lubricant, all that kind of market. That was the website that I had. And I found that, you know, I'd have a big marketing job during the day and then I'd come home at night and I'd pack orders and all that kind of stuff. But I'd spend half the night on the live chat answering questions for women. And Ah. that was where a huge amount of it came from because I started transcripting the live chat. I ended up forming relationships with sex educators and um, sexologists and things so that I basically had a hotline as questions would come in. I'd be like, heck, that's a bit of a curveball. I'm going to go check on this because there was a lot of things like, you know, women um, going through menopause or, um, you know, women who had gone through a cancer diagnosis and treatment and they were trying to get their love lives back on track or they were trying to get their sensations back on track because, you know, radiotherapy will often burn nerve endings effectively and a lot of women were saying I'm experiencing all this sexual dysfunction I ended up doing all of this research I felt like every night I was doing three or four hours worth of research and and speaking to women and my website was was not targeted to funky 21 year olds it was just it was um, a non-creepy, elegant, um, it still exists, discreet. a really good girlfriend of, my, of mine has actually bought the business off me. But yeah, exactly. Discreet, lovely, pleasant. It's not all creepy. And it, it very much, yeah, it, it was a huge learning curve for me. And it, it actually demonstrated to me that poor sex education in your teens can actually last an absolute lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of my clientele were women who had been, you know, married for 25 30 years their marriages had broken up for whatever reason their ex-husband was the only man that ever been within their life a lot of the time their sex education was quite terrible for example you know the highest growing sti reports are women and men over 55 because Whoa. they that's generally not the generation that had the grim reaper you know, HIV, condom every time kind of. Yeah. Right? So it, it, there's there's a, a cluster of, you know, bad S- STI data for teenagers, really young people, you know, 17 mm. to 21, and older Australians is another really bad cluster. The rest of us sort of in the middle are doing all right. We're either in relationships or we had that condom message beaten into us really hard. Yeah. So that did show that there was a massive sex education full stop issue and it's quite cross-generational, particularly when it comes to women's pleasure. You know, it's like you're not allowed to have fun doing this thing, um, you know, which is quite terrible and it's still an issue. So I was originally writing for, you know, women in their 40s, 50s and 60s and I thought, hang on a minute, I work in, you know, advertising, social media, copywriting. I'm seeing all of the things that social media is doing every day. This is actually a really core issue. If the older generation could get something out of it, that's great. Mm. But I really felt like today's teenage girls who are dealing with Snapchat, you know, they're on their smartphones until three o'clock in the morning and not getting enough sleep. You know, these are all brand new challenges for both the teenagers and their parents. This is mm. a generation of parents dealing with this. There is no guidebook. There is no, how do we deal with this? It's not really being answered. Yep. And so you've written the guidebook in a way. Mm. And if it's the mums and the grandmums that are reading it for their, you know, teenagers, 
they benefit from it too then I suppose don't they most definitely yeah. do I'm yeah. definitely finding I actually thought teenagers would buy it you know it's written for teenagers and I thought they're going to buy it themselves because teenagers are really independent hmm. but it is pretty much 100% the parents or you know aunts and uncles whatever buying it they're reading it first because yeah. they're like oof that's quite a table of contents. There is a lot of quite out there stuff in there. So they're reading it first and then they're, you know, popping it on the pillow or on the bedside table or having a, a little bit of a chat and just saying, look, this is for you. And I'm definitely getting feedback like, oof, there was stuff in there that I did not know was a thing. <laughs> wow. And it's quite interesting what you said, um, you know, the over 55s and the STI stats, because it's been about 50 years, I think, where women's sex lives have been changing. And so they're just on the cusp of before that change. And I suppose even though we've had all this change, a lot of the stigma still is that women are not supposed to enjoy sex and hence the pleasure issue and we're not supposed to talk about enjoying sex. Mm. There's still slut shaming. It's just a minefield. I'm just like opening it up for you to go. <laughs> uh, look, you've, you've completely hit the nail on the head. You know, there's still this perception that, um, you know, and, and these absolutely false perceptions that, you know, women don't enjoy sex as much as men, complete and utter fallacy, you know, that it's, you know, it's, it's, dirtier it's painful the first time for women it, it shouldn't be you know you know virginity is an absolute social construct mm. just all all of these other things that we're, we're literally lied to you know every day women are lied to every day about their sex lives and it's actually really great to see at the moment there's some good research that's starting to happen that's very female centric a, a sex education colleague of mine she's uh, just handed in her phd and she was actually looking at how women use porn today and the impacts, good, bad or indifferent, that it's having on their relationships and, you know, how they're, they're viewing sex and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I went to a talk of hers a couple of months ago when she was sort of launching it to the Society of Australian Sexologists. So we're all sitting there, you know, having a good old listening and, you know, women, you know, very heavy consumers of porn, they often watch very similar types of porn to what men watch they you know have the same stimulus and all those kind of things and it is for some people it does impact it's like anything that is you know whether it's a you know a bag of Hague's chocolate frogs or <laughs> too much Netflix it's like anything too much of any one thing can be a little bit of a bad thing but um it's always you know it's something that's down to individual responsibility and you know it it is just such an intense um time I think there's research that's starting to happen in this so women are going to have more representation or more mm. factual representation rather than assumed representation in these sex conversations um, but there's still a lot of really chronic medical female research that's not being done where women are you know really left out there needs to be more stud studies and research into endometriosis for example mm. you know, that that in itself is something that needs a huge amount of research hours and a huge amount of research dollars and it's really hard to get that kind of research taken seriously still which i find extraordinary in this day and age there was actually a study that i read very very recently which was just the most disappointing thing i'd ever read there was a particular type of vag vaginal bacteria that they wanted to research so patients who were presenting with this particular condition are saying actually we'd like to put you in a clinical trial and i'll be like oh, fantastic is this going to bring me some relief what they were actually testing for was attractiveness and breast size 
And that was actually a, you know, a funded study that was submitted (sighs) to peer review and all the rest of it. And it's like, I'm sorry, what does breast size on a, in terms of a lifestyle and well-being and medical standpoint have to do with a particular illness and bacteria that occurs in women? It's just extraordinary. There's, they weren't researching, is it genetic? Is it environmental? How can we cure it? How can we alleviate symptoms? It was, how attractive are your boobs? And how, does this, how is this still a thing? But it's still a thing. So... You know, the, the the battle is not over. Women always need to keep standing up for, you know, for, for ourselves on just about every level. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that just, my mind boggles at that. It just shows, I suppose, that we need more and more senior women going through STEM into the high sciences and anatomy and, and the medical field. Oh, and, very much so. And yeah. staying there. So you know, a lot of them go in and they don't stay. You know, we've got mm-hmm. more STEM university graduates than men now. I think we're sitting at about 53% over 47 or 48 or so. But, you know, 40% of those leave within the first five years because it's boys club, it's misogynistic, it's aggressive, it's bullying, it's not yeah. worth it <laughs> in a lot of cases. Uh, oh, so we've got to keep at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The other thing that fascinated me about the anatomy and the study of the female anatomy was something that I heard recently that it's only been in the last few years that the clitoris has actually been studied and mapped and we know the shape of it. And that boggles my mind as well because that's since we've left school and we were taught the biology and that was basically, I suppose, all I was taught in terms of sex education, just the biology of it. Yes, yeah. And they didn't even know what the clitoris was then. <laughs> oh, exactly. It's yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's uh it's it's so frustrating. What's been interesting, a, a really lovely friend of mine and um she's also a sexologist, Cindy Darnell, she she did a really fabulous atlas. She's called it the you know, atlas of erotic arousal and anatomy. And she was one of the first Australian people to really dive into the clitoris and how it works. And she's a lot of her work as well as other scientists' work has really mapped out and realized that clitoris is roughly the same size as the male penis. It and it has almost the same components. They're just different shapes obviously for our different anatomies so women have boners we have all sorts of physical changes when we're aroused and we have a pleasure center literally as big as men's but our pleasure center is literally designed just for pleasure it's not related to ejaculation or you know procreation it's there for fun (laughs) (laughs) makes us lucky doesn't it it does (laughs) so You're also investigating and writing another book focusing Mm -hmm. more on teenage boys, which I find fascinating as well. Just by way of a bit of background, you know, my husband is in the Defence Force and so they have all these 18 and 19-year-olds joining and training and he's in a training command place where they come for their second phase of training. And all these young boys... He's just noticing the difference in terms of how they interact with people just generally, how much they're online, mm-hmm. um, how they have difficulty with relationships with females and how different this new generation is from even Gen Y only, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago. 
Mm. Oh, look, it's it's really massive. I I really feel for young men at the moment. They've got oh gosh, there's I guess the the Me Too movement, which is um, you know obviously Harvey Weinstein being caught out for being an absolute serial raging dirtbag, and that has uncovered a really big can of worms. And it's actually affecting adult males a lot because a lot of men are questioning their own past behaviour. And look, that's a good thing. Let's move forward. Let's. Yeah you know, let's behave better, understand consent, move forward in a really big way. However, a lot of these men who are grappling with it and they think that, well, you can't hold a door open for a woman in case she screams rape, <laughs> it's, it's very irrational responses to being called out for bad behaviour that they've gotten away with for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I'm saying when I'm interviewing both men and teenage boys for this book is that they're, they're frightened, they're mm-hmm. angry, and, of course, this is not all men, but um, there's a lot of fear and anger and concern. So the responses are, well, you know, you can't even open a door for a woman. You know, you'll, you'll be accused of rape, you'll be accused of this, so you can't win anyway. And that's actually being passed down to teenage boys at the mm. moment. So they're not, at the moment, they're seeing a very, very confusing, fearful and angry male response from their parents a lot of the time. Yeah. And there's also the big old 4chan, 8chan type world online of chat boards where uh, you know a huge proportion of teenage boys are on and the gaming scene among you know teenagers and young men is absolutely massive and you've got the multiplayer experience so they're on chat streams they're in their headphones and they're talking to people some some are strangers some are friends but it's really showing that the, the misogyny can get sparked very young much younger than it ever had been um you know i was reading the other day about a a parent who was like, okay, my 10-year-old son was playing Fortnite. The, you know, the chat was getting incredibly aggressive. So she actually did hop onto the chat and said, hey, guys, tone it down. You're all 10 years old here. And one kid absolutely lost her nut, lost his nut and her, swore at her, went off. You're not supposed to be here. This is a man's space. Rah, 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 rah. Absolute F-bombs, C-bombs, a whole bit. And she's like, you're, 10. you're the kid who, you know, goes to primary school with my kid. Are you serious? You know, they, they turn into different creatures sometimes when they're online. If they're doing it unsupervised or they're doing it all the time. And, you know, the 4chan environment is often an incredibly right-wing environment. Yeah. And there's a lot of extremist views in there. It's, it's often not a pretty place. And that's where a lot of their conversations are being held. So there's, you know, there's all these long-held societal norms of um you know even with sex education for young boys it's a as simple as oh I asked that girl out and you know she said no and it's like oh okay what are you going to do now well I know what to do I need to keep asking until she says yes it's like no she said no hmm. I stop you know you know boys are being taught and they have been for you know absolute ages well if she knocks you back you just keep trying that means she likes you <laughs> yeah exactly or you know the whole throwing rocks at, at you know young younger kids well that's he's doing that because he likes you know that's there's all these old societal things that need to be unpacked and us adults aren't always doing a great job at doing that and again adults are dealing with a gaming environment a 4chan environment a social media environment a porn environment that has never had to be navigated before ever you know so it's it's a completely new thing so this this is you know I'm I'm working on you know the book it's going to be called all foxed up it's for teenage boys it's very focused on like yes it covers off same as um the first book for fox's sake it covers off you know anatomy and you know how how birds make bees and all of those wonderful things but it also looks very heavily at what is happening socially 
um, what is legal, what is not illegal, you know, how to live a good life, the really common sense things that sometimes they do need to hear and they do need to see it, you know, in writing. Oh my God, what a huge <laughs> topic. Yes, we've uncovered something massive. <laughs> yeah, you've got a huge task ahead of you and it's just such the right time mm. because you also see a lot of, you know, feminists online and female journalists and even um, movie stars that are just attacked on social media, you know, such misogynistic and sexual um, attacks and the uh, the anonymous nature of some of the social media doesn't help either because people just feel like they're more powerful sitting behind their computer screen but so all of that which is fairly new is then something that our teenage boys are growing up with and learning mm. oh, it, it's yeah. terrifying for me actually yeah because they you know they <laughs> It's the, the keyboard warrior stuff. It's an it's an easy yeah. out, you know. Mm -hmm. And some people behave really badly when they're having a bad day. You know, I've I've seen that in my you know agency work on social media. It's not, oh, that airport bus was five minutes late. It was like you have ruined my entire holiday <laughs> that I've saved a lifetime for. I demand you fire the bus driver immediately. And it's like, no, actually calm down that's a completely irrational response we'll refund your ticket that was ten dollars and it, that's the easy way out and mm. adults are doing a terrible enough yep. job of that at the moment anyway let alone kids that have not learnt what the real world is you know kids that have never you know had a waitressing they haven't had a waitressing job yet or a waitering bar job yet they haven't you know, worked a call centre job, you know, to pay their way through uni. They haven't had those experiences. They don't empathise with people on the other side of the screen yet. And that's a really huge challenge for parents because it's the ultimate, how do you explain it to them? You know, those, any parent would know that trying to talk to a teenager with, here is how the real world is, without showing them tangible examples or without, you know, them going, oh, that happened to my cousin or that that they don't connect the dots and they just think you're being a fuss bag busybody. It's really, really tough for parents. So it's, it's, it's a quite extraordinary time that we're living in at the moment. Yes, it makes me so glad that I'm not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get a bit like that. It's like, <laughs> not easy. <laughs> yeah. So what advice would you give if you were 21 again now at this point in society? Uh, it would be about having, making sure I had work-life balance. Um, really? That's something I do a terrible job of even now, and I'm more than double 21. Um, so, yeah, when I was 21, I was, you know, working full-time and I was studying part-time and I was actually studying a full-time load. So I was at uni four nights a week. Um, after working full time and then doing assignments and homework on weekends and still managing to throw down a you know six pack at a party <laughs> on a Saturday night and all the rest of it and I was completely burnt out by the time I was about 23 and I'd graduated um, uni and whatever I was so burnt out I have no words for it and you know ended up suffering from depression off the back of it and all the rest of it so you know it's it's yeah I've there's just so many juicy distractions out there. I'm, I'm really interested in life and I love learning new things and, you know, I love doing things. So for me, it's to actually calm the farm. You don't have to work quite so hard because you'll still get there um, and it doesn't have to happen as quickly as you think it needs to happen. 
Yeah, that is great advice. And because we do sound very similar, I suppose at 21, you were in such a rush just to get on with life and get it all done and mm. and climb, start climbing up the um, social and financial ladder that you probably wouldn't have listened to that advice because <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have. <laughs> no, I, I had a goal at that point. I wanted to be a marketing manager of a big brand by the time yeah. I was 25. <laughs> Yeah. And and I made it. I got there about three weeks before before I turned well done. five. And um, I had I spent two years in that job going, well, what do I do next? Yeah, sort of hit, this is the pinnacle you know, at twenty five. Like, yeah, and then it's like certainly I could have gone on to bigger companies, although I was in a very big financial services, you know, company in a marketing role. But it was like, well, what now? And it and it was a really quite stern look at look at myself and what comes next. So yeah. Isn't it funny looking back? Yeah. So what now are some of the rituals that you have to help you stay sane and to keep that work-life balance? Oh, for sure. So I am a person that my mind goes a million miles an hour and I've usually got a million ideas. When you're writing a book, which is research-based, holy dooly. Oh, yeah, that's a great person. You know, you'd be on Twitter and go, that's a great person. I'm going to interview them for the book. Um, and that'll come to me at midnight and I'll be up wandering around, you know, hopping on their website to figure out how to, you know. So what I have learnt to do is to keep a pattern pen beside my bed. So if I have any ideas, I don't even switch the light on, which means my handwriting's atrocious the next morning. But I write down what I want to do and I find for me that's actually enough. I can go, okay, you can stop thinking about that now or for goodness sake, don't fire up your phone at this god awful hour to um, look them up so that um, I'm sleeping a lot better because I just jot those things down. I'm very fond of a cup of tea first thing in the morning. Even mm. if I've got a you know 7 a.m. flight to catch and I'm up at four or five in the morning, I still mm. like that 10 minute cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've done is I used to play a lot of music in high school and I've always been a passionate music punter and always sort of kept a bit of an instrument around but I've started having guitar and bass lessons again and it's actually been fantastic because you can't watch you know you can't have telly on in the background while you're practicing it's actually nice to just always be looking up new songs that you know my guitar teacher's given me to listen to and and start learning and it's a great zone out because I just have my headphones on I'm plugged into my little amplifier and I'm just plonking away happily I'm not very good at it but I really enjoy it and it's it's almost meditative that's a switch yes. off thing so they're, they're my three things tea guitars and a notepad <laughs> <laughs> they're such good practical tips too yes <laughs> thank you so much oh welcome and I mean, we've just really touched on this topic that you're such an expert in and I wish we had, you know, another hour, but I have to be respectful of yep. your time and we do have the day to get on with. But where can people find out more about you, buy your book and when is your next book due? Okay, so you can always get copies of the book from my website at forfoxessake.com.au. But if you just hop on and Google Roe Murray or For Fox's Sake, I pop up. It's also available in about 200 bookstores nationally and you can buy it online at you know Booktopia and Dimmix and the Book Depository and all of those big bookstores. So you can find it pretty much anywhere. And uh, basically the, the next one is going through the good old edit and cross-checking and what have you stage. So I was hopeful for Christmas, but I think that'll be pushing it. So I, I believe it'll be the first quarter next year we'll have a book to wave around. 
Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Um, And of course, you're working on a podcast to the Foxcast. So people can watch out for that in their podcast feeds. Yes. Very excited about getting that one live. So well done. Thank you. So Ro Murray, thank you so much for your time this morning. What a great conversation and such an interesting topic um, to be talking about. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. So as I said, it was a little bit of a different conversation, (laughs) but still great. (laughs) Just, I suppose, firstly, it's not something that I've got much knowledge in. And also then there's, you know, sometimes it's quite triggering to talk about um, sex, particularly because it's not something that women generally talk about. And so that's why it was a little bit difficult for me. Also, out of curiosity, what time of day did you do that interview? It was actually six in the morning. Um, if I was thinking it might be different, six pm with a bo- with a glass of bottle of wine, <laughs> with a glass of wine as well. Yes, it might have been very different. <laughs> Could have been a different vibe, right? You'd have been yeah. a bit more relaxed. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But I mean, there was there's so much to pull out of the conversation, and I'd really like to get her back on after her second book has come out, and she's yeah. had more feedback as well, because we started talking about her first book, obviously, and the reason why she wrote it, and particularly interesting about the generational differences, which was really what triggered her to write it, was that, you know, women going through medical, well, menopause or cancer treatment, you know, changes to their body and they were just still trying to have some form of sex life. And so Mm. she dived deep in that way, which was how she got started. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you don't really think of it unless it's your own generation of what's going on. It's like we're in our bubble, right? Like I remember, um, you know, we had a girls' night just a couple of months ago and obviously every girls' night that topic comes up, right, of sex. And again, and we're all the same age and we talk about what it's like for us and our age generation, but we never really go, oh, I wonder what it's like for for that next generation out there. Um, Mm. Like I said, yeah, we're sort of in our own bubble. Mm. Probably the only generation we talk about is the one below us when we're talking about you know our kids and I remember the conversation that night came up around you know now that they ask questions like she is nine and it's like you know everyone's like well you mention it and explain it as per body parts you don't make new names up and and that's so different to I remember when I had my so-called sex education and I'm like 39 and you know they we didn't use the names of vagina and penis and or anything like that Hmm. so yeah it's very different of how we're teaching it Hmm. now yeah yeah yeah. And it was interesting that she said that she actually wrote it for the four teenage girls thinking they'd buy it themselves, but it's actually the mums and the grandmas that are buying it to be able to have the conversations. Because yeah. as you yeah. say, the way we learnt sex education is so differently to what we want our girls to learn now. And also just talking to Ro about the the medical research that has been done since we were in school. And I can't believe that you know, some of the things that hadn't even been studied, you know, and we were in school in the 90s. So it's incredible. Yeah, 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 no, she's fascinating. Hmm. It's just interesting, you know, like going from the career that she had into into this space. And I think you nailed it when you said it, you know, in the middle of the interview that she's got such a big job ahead of her. Hmm. Like it feels like almost like it made me take a deep breath just thinking about it. (laughs) And she's got such a big 
task ahead of her. Yes, yes, it's a huge topic, isn't it? And the landscape has changed so much with social media and online. And then, I mean, the conversation we started having about what teenage boys are experiencing now and how they're growing up and what you know what's influencing them at the moment I think that that's going to be the game changer or potentially a huge difficulty that the next generation is going to face around sex education and the expectations of young men yeah absolutely and I think she was also mentioning just about the use of availability of porn as well which is Mm. so different Mm. you know like compared to when we were kids to when our kids are gonna be sticking looking at it it's like at your fingertips yeah yeah and in fact that's the conversation that I've had a few times with I've had that conversation a few times with some of the people like I was talking about with Ro um, my husband is a trainer of young soldiers um, and particularly their concept of what ordinary sex is now Mm. is very different from five or 10 years ago because they've grown up, grown up watching porn and they think that's how it should be. Mm. Yeah. And then it all, it's it's that whole concept of desensitization as well, you know, and, and the addiction that it causes. Mm. Mm. Yep. And then because they're growing up more in an online space, it also relates back to how they just relate to people generally in their inability to have conversations or engage and how differently they engage when they're online versus when they're Mm. you know uh, physically talking to someone yeah yeah I think it's also just our country is it's actually interesting I went to Bali uh, about four months ago I was running a couple of EQ workshops there for kids at and on one of the days there was just this event where young entrepreneurs just got together and there's probably about 50 people in the room and out of those 50 there were at least eight or nine people that were sex educators Hmm. and learning you know how do we communicate with kids and and women and men around this topic so I just think again either you know we we don't know of them and you know I didn't know really you know Ro was out there with her book um But yeah, I just don't think we've got enough people really, you know, talking about this. Yeah. Oh, that is really interesting that you had trainers come to you to learn how to emotionally talk about this stuff. Because Mm. I think we lump our ordinary teachers, our everyday teachers with the task and they're not potentially skilled. I certainly remember my own experience of sex education at school and it was just um, the poor teacher. It was just awkward. I swear to God, did you guys have the banana and condom? That's what oh, we had course. in the UK. Yeah. Yes. It was only yeah. the one session and I think the boys and girls had to be separated into the separate rooms for that demonstration. Same. Yes. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it was the banana condom and then all the all, all conversation was around, can we just take the bananas and eat them? Oh. Like, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> it was, is that really what we were just taught? And then I think we had a take-home goodie bag as well or something. I can't remember what was in it though but we did have a little take-home bag and I think that was a way to say oh yeah let your parents know this has just happened you know ah yeah Yeah. and I remember not even showing them I remember just like going what the hell was that shoving it in the cupboard and Mm -hmm. sort of never talking about it again Mm. yeah I wonder if it is this country more than others I wonder if we're overly conservative around the topic or it's sort of um You know, even like I said before, we listened to the interview that because it's so far out of my comfort zone and out of 
you know, ordinary conversation comfort zone that we're not talking about it intelligently. And I suppose that comes back to, to what we're trying to do on this podcast is have intelligent and emotionally intelligent conversations that should be had. Mm, absolutely. Um, when is her next book being released? Has she got a date? She said the first quarter of next year. Um, so she was trying yeah. to have it out for Christmas, but I'm not sure. That'd that be really be interesting to see who's going to buy that book. That's right. right. Like, yeah. would it, I can't imagine teenage boys coming out and buying the book, no. but I think it'd probably be like the parents again, buying it or leaving it around for their kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think uh, you're right. And I also wonder if it will be more or less popular than her first, because I do think that we still worry about our girls' sex life more than we do about our boys. Yeah, yeah I agree. Mm. I agree. Yeah. We're still a bit precious around women liking sex and the whole pleasure thing and the slut shaming thing. I mean, that hasn't gone away. No. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, it's a minefield, isn't it, when you look mm. at it? And it'll be interesting, you know, I think for our listeners also just to comment as well and yep. give us some feedback on what they thought when they were listening to this and is this a topic that they found uncomfortable to listen to? Yes. But I think if we can share this topic a bit more and if people can recommend for people to listen to this podcast, this episode, I think it'll be great just to get that word out even yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, I think because it is a conversation we need to have. And I think because it's a little bit more controversial of a topic, I hope that people do want to leave some feedback and, and continue the conversation away from just listening. It's a safe place to be able to leave your comments on our website. So, um, and then we can keep talking about it over various topics before we even have Row back, which would be great. Yeah, no, that'd be great. So yes, STEM. You mentioned mm. STEM in the interview as well. Yes, we did mention STEM. And I just think because there's been more research done around the woman, the female body and particularly in the last 30 years, I think it's far more promising. And I think that is because there's more women in STEM. And mm. I've heard before on other podcasts that a lot of medical research has only really included men in the control and the active groups because men are comfortable with men and men just think, well, the, the female body is just like a male's body, which is not yeah. the case at all. And so, in fact, a lot of the medications and things, even heart medications, diabetes medications have all really been trialed on men. So I just think that it's promising that there is such a push for women in STEM mm. because the more women that are higher up in STEM doing their independent research and using women, it can only be good for us, can't it? Yeah, I agree. And I think, look, there is definitely more and more women. And I remember we were going to talk about STEM and there was going to be that article that I wanted to link to, but it was just around, you know, that they are getting more recognition. They're getting more awareness for, for their amazing work that they're doing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that sounds mm. great. Mm. In fact, my sister there. is in STEM. Um, my younger sister has a PhD in physical movement she studied marsupials hmm. that has transferred over to human movement wow. and now she teaches anatomy to undergraduate university students wow 
Liverpool. Oh my God. Mm. So she's in STEM and actually it might be interesting. I might link you to her and perhaps you can have a chat with her to see what it's been like for her coming up in STEM because, you know, she's in her mid thirties as well. And so she is potentially one of the forerunners of this whole group of women coming into that industry. Mm. Yeah. Do that. Connect us. That'll be great. So she's in the UK, Liverpool in the UK. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Has she got a bit of an accent now? No. No. <laughs> the Liverpool accent's so strong. <laughs> no, she hasn't got an accent at all. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, okay. So what are you up to for the next week or two? So next week I'm actually not on client site for once, which makes a nice change. Mm-hmm. I'm just working on some sales meetings and strategy work. And then the week after I'm in Melbourne and Brisbane. Oh, good. So I'm going to make the most of being in town next week. Yes. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. I am actually, I've been performance managing a staff member recently and I'm letting them go. So that's always oh. a tricky thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Not easy. So that'll happen in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's yeah. hard when you like the person and they're a really great person and they just can't perform because you know we've been working for eighteen months to get this person up to speed and it's just not happening. And I just, just a competency issue, yes. mm. yeah, which is tricky, as you would yeah. know from HR. HR, yeah. So you're going to start recruitment for that now? I've already sort of got that covered, and we helped this person find another job. So oh, good, mm. good. So yes, we've done it as well as we can, I think, as well as anyone can in these situations. Yes. Mm. All right. Great to chat with you. And you. Yeah. Catch you next episode. Absolutely. Thanks, Jackie.